as we begin our transition into hearing God's word, it is important for us to clear space. It is important for us to let go of the distractions, let go of the assumptions, let go of the things that pull us away from fully hearing from God the Holy Spirit through the Word. Part of that involves confession. All of us throughout the week take on things. We have things put on us as well. That this is the time to let go of those things. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer it's a prayer of confession, both of things that we have done and have been done to us, but also a prayer of confession of our aspirations, of our faith, of what we believe that God is going to do this morning. Because we come here believing that God is going to do something. God is going to reveal. God is going to be present. God is going to heal where there is hurt. He is going to give wisdom where there is wandering. He is going to bring security where there is wandering. So I'll pray the words out loud, and I'm going to pause as we go through here for you to make this prayer your own, where you sit as you're there, and then we'll get into the Word. God, the Holy Spirit, we are, desperate. We are in desperate need of the grace to hear your voice, to lay down our lives so that you may give us your life. Life for here, life for forever. We confess our dullness, our idolatry, our selfishness, and our arrogance. In professing to be wise, we are fools. In professing to be good, we are profane. In professing to be whole, we are utterly scattered. Yet we are not without hope. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in your gospel. Our hope is in your loving kindness towards us. May we walk in the names that you call us, not the names of the world. You call us forgiven, beloved, and holy. Teach us to walk in those names. Teach us to call others the same. God, the Holy Spirit, now give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to love and obey, and minds to discern you and all that is good and true and beautiful. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome everyone. My name is John. I asked my mother one time, who was I named after? John the Baptist? John the Evangelist? And she said, yes, <laughs> both. So I have that going for me with that. And how we name things, we're going to look at that. The, the, we titled this this morning, What's in a Name? And as we've been studying since we started our narrative lectionary and going through the Bible with that, we've had two instances already where naming takes a central place. Adam naming things in the garden with that. Isaac being named Laughter and the things that are going on here. And then this week's text, we get into the story of Jacob wrestling 
at the, book, uh, at the brook of Jabbok, and there's all kinds of naming going on. And this is incredibly important for us to understand because how we name things determines how we think about things, how we interact with things. How we classify things determines our relationship to it or to that person with that. And so we're going to go deep into this idea of the importance of naming and how that happens and what it means this morning. Jacob's father, Abraham, we, we've had a lot of texts that we haven't studied as we move through quickly the Old Testament this fall. Jane touched on it last week with this covenant that God made with Abraham and then repeated to Isaac and then is going to repeat here to Jacob. That through the naming of this people as God's people, that the gospel is going to come, salvation is going to come, blessing is going to come. It's through this. And so we get to this point where we come up on Jacob. Now, Jacob is an interesting cat. Um, he comes out. He's, he's a mama's boy. He comes out, comes out second. He's, he's a part of a pair of twins. Him and Esau, they're born. Jacob comes out holding onto the heel of Esau. His mom loves him more. His dad loves his brother more. Mom and Jacob connive together to steal the blessing from Esau to get the inheritance with that. This causes incredible dysfunction. Well, the dysfunction was already there, but this reveals incredible dysfunction in the family. Jacob has to flee. He goes and lives with his uncle. He gets a little dose of his own medicine from his uh, uncle Laban, but it end turns around and is leaving pretty much unliked and unwelcomed. He has no place to go. He's going back to his land, but he knows he's going to have to face up to what he did with Esau. And he's scared. Can't go back. He can't go forward. And he ends up that last night before he has to face up to his life choices, the consequences of his life choices. He ends up at this place, this brook called Jabok, which we'll see why that's Named that way as we go. And something happens that is unique in Scripture. Well, let's look at it and we'll get into that. So we're reading from Genesis 32, starting with verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you said to me, return to your land and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am not worthy of all the faithful love you have shown your servant. With only my walking stick, I crossed the Jordan, but now I've come back with two camps. Jacob is incredibly wealthy at this time. He has two wives. He has multiple kids. He has herds. He has servants. Rescue me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me as well as my my mother's and their children. But you said, I will certainly make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the seashore, too numerous to count. He's recounting the Abrahamic covenant there. During the night, Jacob quickly took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, here's, here's where we get into the ambiguity, and here's where we get into what makes this situation unique with that. 
As we encountered last week, normally when an angel shows up or God shows up in the personification of a person in the Old Testament, there is a welcoming ceremony. Like there's a clear-cut interaction of what's going on. We talked about this a lot in the teaching team. We saw last week how Abraham went and, and prepared a meal for the visitors. If we could throw that image up there, Emily, if it's there. Here it just happens. Just all of a sudden, Jacob is asleep, and then he's in a wrestling match. There's no prelude to it. There's no introduction to it. We're just all of a sudden, we're in this wrestling match, which is unique. The other thing that we're going to see that's unique in this is that it kind of comes to a draw. Any other time we see someone wrestling with God, God's power is evident and God's power is exerted. It's not a fair fight. But here, this wrestling goes on all night. It's important to understand here, one of the commentaries, commentators said this. He said, a lesser man than Jacob might have died of fright or pleaded for mercy or tried to flee, but Jacob hung on. And all night long, the two of them struggled together. And in the, in the way that oral history was repeated before the written word, before the written Bible. This story in Hebrew is a play on words. The word Jabok, the name of the river, Jacob, and wrestling all sound the same in Hebrew. It would be something like us saying, Jacob at Jabok, Jacobed. There was an, there's an alliteration, there's a, there's a rhyming scheme in these things. Something is happening in the, in the original inspiration that is drawing these things together, this idea of Jacob and wrestling and naming with that. But it goes on, it says, when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he struck the socket. And now, hold on a minute here too. It's, the text here is clear. It, it's not calling this thing that Jacob is wrestling with anything other than a man. It's not using a word for angel. It's not using a word for God. It's saying a man, but the, in, the context of it tells us that this is something more than a man. When the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking, I will not let you go, Jacob replied, unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? He answered, Jacob. No longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? Then man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, another naming, explaining certainly I've seen the face of God and have survived. I mentioned a few weeks back as we revisited how we look at text, how we look at Scripture here at Grace. I made the comment, just because some things are clear in the Bible doesn't mean that all things are clear. This story is a great illustration of that. This is, there's tremendous ambiguity here. Um, it's not clear who Jacob is wrestling with here. It's not 100% clear. Is this a man, an angel, God, a demon? 
We don't know. It's, it's purposely ambiguous here. That's the important thing to know. Is this isn't an oversight. This isn't a lack of knowing of the biblical author or the divine inspiration. But it's purposely ambiguous. That we're not quite sure what's going on. And it's, and it's also ambiguous as to who really has the upper hand here. Who is prevailing upon whom here? As I said, in all other encounters or most other encounters, I can't think of any that are different. When God encounters or wrestles with the person, God obviously wins. God has the power. That's not clear here. This is ambiguous. And if you want to read some more about this, the learning guide this week is there's some fantastic resources, especially Frederick Beekner's retelling of this tale in the learning guide. Look it up. It's down in the resources. It's incredible. But if there's ambiguity, there's also richness here. We see the biblical themes coming through, the biblical themes of rebirth, of naming, of intimacy, of wounding, of blessing, of struggle, and a mysterious wonder. One commentator said that Jesus telling the tale of the prodigal son is a retelling of this story in a way. But this story, with all its ambiguity for us, the modern reader, loomed large in the imagination of the original readers and of the New Testament writers, which we'll see in a little bit. But I want to throw an anchor down here, because there's much we could talk about. But I want to talk about the naming. And here's the thing that I've learned. Here's one of the things that I've learned. In all the wrestling and all the things we come to, that so often, the thing is not the thing. The thing we think is the thing is not the thing. The way we've named it, the way we've framed it, the way we think about it is really not the thing. We give things the wrong name, and so we never come to the right answer. We consider things in the wrong way, in the wrong context, in the wrong estimation, and therefore we end up with totally unsatisfactory conclusions. And we are continually going around the mountain, going around the mountain, and never coming to the end. See, every human relationship starts with how we consider God than ourselves. This is our relationship to our spouse, our parents, our kids, our bosses, our employees and employers, our neighborhood, our government, even those we go to church with. Starts with how we name each other, how we call each other, how we consider each other. How are we to consider others? How are we to name them? Now, I said just a minute ago that I think that this story loomed large in the imagination of the New Testament authors. I think particularly with Paul. And so, as I was considering this after the teaching team meeting, and I was thinking through this, it, it, it just dawned on me, I wonder if this is what Paul was thinking about, this image, when he wrote Ephesians 6. So Ephesians 6 says this. He says, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves in the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle, and that's the same word in Greek that is used in Hebrew for the wrestling that Jacob did. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against world rulers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians 6, you'll know that this passage is preceded with instructions on how Husbands are to relate to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to owners, owners to slaves. It outlines the, the relationship there, and then it gets to this, and then it goes on to give us kind of this litany of ways putting on the full armor of God with that. And I have to tell you, growing up, I was taught this as kind of a formula for prayer, which I think there's some richness there to understand. I think there is. But it all hinges, it all hinges on this idea that our struggle is not against people. The thing is not the thing, and people are not our problem. Now, people can be problematic. We all know that, right? But people are not the problem. That's not what we're wrestling with. That's not who we're struggling with. It's not other people, other groups of people, that one in particular person with that. You see, the ambiguity of Jacob's story, I think, leaves it open, ripe for opportunity to understand this wrestling of Jacob is also our own struggles. This also represents our own struggles. And we start to understand Ephesians, not so much Paul's exhortation in Ephesians, not so much as a formula for spiritual warfare, as a way of properly naming things. I believe Paul is instructing us there, he says, don't Put the label enemy problem on that person. That's not who your fight is against. Now, you may be in tension. You may have to address things. I'm not saying that you just go passive and let people do whatever you do. they do. You don't. We hold each other accountable. We don't stand for abuse. We don't stand for manipulation. We don't stand for those things. But our struggle is not against the person with that. And I think this exhortation in Ephesians is a way of properly naming things to keep us from resorting to the way the world thinks and operates. It keeps us from falling back into thinking that people are the problem. Because again, my default mode is to attack the person. Let me just tell you honest. I get hurt, I get threatened, I get tired, I get frustrated, I lash out. You know who takes the most of that? It's Jane Ray. And she doesn't deserve it. She's not the problem. But it's like we're so wired to put that on a person. We have to see it, right? We're so wired to do that. We end up lashing out. We end up, what, what James says, he says, he says you, you cut and you bite and you tear one another. It's very vivid, visceral language that he uses. 
And Paul is saying, you can't name that person the problem. They're not the problem. That's not who you're struggling with here. He is not the problem. She is not the problem. They are not the problem. Those people, that person. When we give the, when we give the people, when we give people the name problem, enemy, other, trash, animal, monster, slave, illegal, we are othering them. We are making them the problem. People are not the problem. That is not who our struggle is with. When we do that, we're just falling into the way of thinking and acting that has perpetrated violence and oppression and bloodshed and abuse throughout our whole history. It has to stop. It has to stop. And Jesus has come and made the way for it to stop. We can stop if we are willing to wrestle with what we really need to wrestle with. So the question is not stopping wrestling. The question is, are we going to wrestle with what we really need to wrestle with? Are we going to stop projecting the problem onto people and start putting the problem where it is? Now, I wish I could tell you once we do that, it's going to make things easy. The reality is it's going to make it a hell of a lot harder. Because, listen, I can wrestle with y'all. I can wrestle with y'all. I can wrestle with a person. But with powers and principalities, with structural injustice... With, with ingrained systems of oppression, with industry that sells vulgarity and profanity and escapism, with my own nature, my own propensity to addict, to entertain, to escape instead of face reality. That's something different. That's a fight. That's a fight I can't win on my own. That's a fight I can't take on and come away with any hope of surviving if I don't have help. It's taken me a long time, a very long time, to understand who it is I'm really wrestling with, what it is I'm really wrestling with. To give names to the hurt and the questions, the wounds and the wounding. It's something I have to continue to wrestle with as well. Or better, hang on to for dear life. In order not to lose the blessing of knowing it's not flesh and blood. It's not just what I estimate in my frail human reasoning from my broken heart, from my darkened imagination. It's something so different, so mysterious, it can only come from God. And here's the question for us, Grace Church. Are we willing to have that Jacob experience? 
collectively and individually? Are we willing to have that Jacob experience? Because we won't get it without a fight. We won't get it without being wounded. It's going to hurt. And not just a bump or a bruise kind of hurt, but I mean a deep scarring, a bone breaking, a tendon ripping that will leave us all with a permanent limp. We also won't get it without new names for things. New names for ourselves. New names for other people. New names for the way things work. Without that new naming, we will not see the radical transformation that is promised in the gospel. And in that wrestling also, we cannot tap out. We have to hang on. We have to hang on. I don't know if it's just a function of getting old, but for the past few years, it has become routine for me to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning thinking of things. Anybody else out there feel me? Like all the things I can kind of entertain myself out of before I go to bed, reading a book, watching TV, whatever, that lasts about five hours. <laughs> and then 3 a.m., baby, I'm awake and I'm wrestling. I wonder if that's what Jacob experienced. Awake and in the midst of a fight. What is it that wakes you up at 3 a.m.? What is it that attacks you in the middle of the night so you can't go back to sleep? What, if it, what is it that grabs onto you and will not let you go as you try desperately to fight back to sleep? What is that thing? We all have things to wrestle with. Things we have to name. We have to name the pain that's caused by the spouse who constantly misunderstands and hurts us. The pain caused by the cold indifference we feel towards the spouse we know we are to love and cherish but just can't. The pain caused by being ignored, passed over, taken advantage of, slandered, marginalized, taken for granted. The pain caused by our parents, pain they refuse to see or admit. The pain caused by our kids, that they've caused in their selfishness and ignorance. The pain caused by our love for things that harm us and bring anguish to others. The pain of being assaulted and then disbelieved. Having our pain nullified because others don't want to deal with it. The pain of being abandoned. The pain of our addictions. The pain of our loneliness. The pain of our lostness all of our insecurities, all of our shortfallings, all of our fears. We have to name these things for what they really are. We have to wrestle with it to understand our name in the midst of it. But whatever you are wrestling with, whatever that thing is that keeps you up at 3 a.m. and keeps you awake, remember that the thing is not the thing and, you're, and in that fight, you're going to learn its real name. 
if you keep fighting. You're going to learn its real name, what it really is. And you're going to learn your real name in the process and get the, the blessing that lets you walk in freedom. See, Jacob started off, Jacob means deceiver, heel grabber, usurper. It's a curse word in a way. It's, it's, like, it's like naming your child idiot or liar. And he walks away with this from a new name. He walks away with Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Nobody in the ancient times won against God. Jacob did. He wrestled with God and saw God's face and survived and received the blessing. Israel, the one who contends with God and lives to see the blessing. Friends, there is grace in the wrestling. That's the thing. We've, we've gone back to saying, what does it mean to discover grace? We discover grace in this wrestling. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. There's also grace in the naming. There's grace in knowing our name. The name we're called by God. There was an older lady at a previous church I went to who she always said, God calls me honey. <laughs> she said, that's my name. When God speaks, he says, honey, let me tell you this. I love that. I love that image so much. Um, I remember clearly, I remember clearly when I got my name. Not as named by my parents. I mean, I was named by that. But when I understood it, when I owned it, when I took it on, there's a passage that talks about John the Baptist. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And he said, he said, what did you expect to see out in the wilderness? A reed broken and bent? No. He saw John. I remember so clearly in the midst of wrestling, pain and loss that Jesus spoke those words to me. What did you expect to see? No, not a reed broken. I carry that with me. That helps me to endure. That helps me to keep wrestling. That helps me to hang on. So there is grace in the wrestling. There's grace in the naming. But also there is grace in the wounding. Because let me tell you this, you will not know, you will not be able to connect to, you will not be able to understand, you will not ever get past superficiality until you know pain. Until you are able to connect your own pain with the pain of others. Until you can see how Jesus takes everything that is meant for our destruction and recycles them into something good. There is grace in our wounding. There is grace in the limps and in the scars and in the deep longings that will never be fulfilled here. There is grace in that pain. if we are willing to wrestle.
and not let go.